My name's Matt, and this is Lessons I've Learned. I sit down with Antonio and we discuss a little bit of his family history, what it's like to play basketball in college, and what happens when you have dreams and aspirations, and then life throws you a curveball and you've got to change your plans. On today's episode, I have public speaker and owner of Basketball Drills and Life Skills and Life Direction and Motivation for Millennials, Antonio Ross. Antonio, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. How are you doing, Matt? I'm, I'm, I'm doing well as well. Absolutely. Thanks you for joining me um, on, we're like at the sort of end of December. Um, this is going to be like in the beginning of January, sometime around then, whenever this is going to premiere, but um, sort of closing out the year. So that's exciting. It's, it's always sort of nice to like reflect back and sort of take in stuff. And I feel like this year there's been a lot to take in. Yeah, <laughs> to say the least, right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, as we are sort of in December, what is the best Christmas present you have ever gotten or the one that sort of stands out the most in your mind? Okay. Jeez, that's a good question. Um, the best Christmas present I've, I don't really get that many great Christmas presents. I'm just put that out there. Maybe my family can see it and step up a little bit. Uh, but probably... All right, the best Christmas present, I got it around Christmas. I don't think it was really a present, but I got it and I still have it, is I got a copy of like my grandpa's uh, book that he wrote. He wrote several books, but there's one about like our family history. And he gave it to me like in high school. And it was, it's just the memos. It's not you know, hard copies or anything. It's just the beginning level. And I just started reading it this year during pandemic COVID hangout at the house time. And it, it tells me everything about my grandma and where we came from. It goes back to like Tulsa Race Ride and beyond. Oh wow, that's so, awesome. Yeah, so that was a gift and it was in my closet for years and I pulled it out, wiped it off today, not today, but this year. And, and I learned so much about my my roots. I'm kind of like my grandma. And I was like, what? That's crazy. Never really met grandma. But okay, I like her. I like her. So that would be my best gift. That's awesome. Is it something that is was sort of written for public consumption or was it written for people within the family to learn more about the family? Uh, I think it was initially for public. But after reading it, I'm like, these are like family secrets and like, my grandpa, he was a congressman at one point and he did a lot for Tulsa. So I don't know if he necessarily want it to be public because there's a lot of it. Like it's, it's a pretty, yeah, it's, it's vivid. He was a historian. So he gives a lot of details on like Indians and, and things like Got that it. and policies that happen. So for me, I would much rather keep it in the family. Uh, but I'm sure a lot of people want to read it. So I, I'm not sure really his desires on it. The family, I think they want to make it public, but I don't know how many of them actually read through the entire book. So I, I, I like it, whether it's published or not. I just like it as a part of the family. Like it's probably my most valued possession. Right For now. sure. What's the earliest account? And then what's the most recent account? So the earliest account was 1920. Three, I think, but he goes back a little further, but he's not very knowledgeable on that area, yeah. I think. So it's like, so have you ever heard of the Tulsa Rex ride before? Yeah. yeah. 
So when he was in Congress, like that was his thesis. Like he brought that to life. Got it. Before anybody was talking about it. And um, so in our the book, it kind of starts like right after that. It's like, well, where, so what happened after that? Like okay. what happened? And it talks about moving to territories and Indian territories and how those worked and it broke everything down. And then so about 1923 when it started and when it ended, it was, I think it was right. I would say it was right after he exited Congress. And that was like 2005, I want to say, because he, he talks about his accolades and what he accomplished and things like that. So, but I'm not completed. I have not complete the entire book. It's, it's an interesting read. It's a lot of details in there let's just say that lots and lots of details it's kind of hard to read when you start reading the history of like the indian uh, territories and just the way they was treated i didn't know they i knew they were treated a certain way but i know those exact uh actions that was uh placed against them and and it was just so much that i gotta like take breaks like okay i'm not gonna read this for a little while so you um you grew up in tulsa and you went to high school in tulsa Yes, sir. And then after that, you went to UCO. Is that correct? No, sir. Uh, oh, okay. After high school, I went to a junior college. Okay. And uh, Northeastern Oklahoma is called NEO A&M. Okay. And I played and studied there for two years, and then I transferred out to UCO uh, right after that. And okay. I've been there ever since. Very cool. And you, um, so you played basketball then. When did you start playing basketball? <laughs> Interesting story right there. Uh, I, I was always like the fat kid and the uncoordinated kid. And I, I had a lot of disability stuttering. And I was in basketball, but I didn't like the running so much. Mm-hmm. And I remember my dad took me out of it in about the sixth grade. And he forced me to play with older and better kids, which was just a tough summer. But I became a lot better. So I started to be more invested in basketball about what year was that 2008 so i would have been like 15 or 16 no sorry 2004 15 16 ish that was when i first started like taking the series and Mm -hmm. then i became a really good player honestly for such a late start as you started to progress through college doing basketball like what are the differences um when you're doing it in high school versus when you're doing it in college like what are um are you just having to train more or is there other things outside of that? Dude, high school and college is two different worlds, like completely. Uh, high school is more like sports or leisure, unless you're one of the top tier players and you've been recruited. So you're going to work a lot harder on your game, depending on who you have around you that's going to push you. Uh, it's a really big determinant factor on where you're going to go. And since I, I was a late bloomer, High school was leisure. It was fun. It was a social life. Uh, I went to Union High School, so that they, that that's a school that they have a lot of different opportunities. They have a lot of different resources. So it was like a D one college there, but you just got to go to school from eight to six, including practice. Then I get to college, and college is a whole other ball game because no one really never told me about uh, you don't have to go to class, you know. Or, you know, you have three classes a week, maybe two, sometimes one. And you're like, what? <laughs> Hold the phone here. And then, of course, you get to live by yourself. It's that responsibility thing that absolutely we all have to deal with. Just on top of being an athlete, it's like it's the way you conduct yourself. 
Like you can't be, you know, drinking beer, smoking weed in front of the camera and then go on and play. That's not what the coach wants, bad publicity. Uh, but like you have to know how to discipline yourself because a lot of people want to hang out with you. I don't care what level you're at, where those people you don't need to be around necessarily because they don't they won't suffer the consequences that you would if we got in trouble. Right. So college definitely a lot more responsibility in terms of like socializing and then you have to get out and regenerate your socialization and athletics is tough because it's a lot more training. It's like 6am workouts. Then you got a team practice, then you got to watch film and then you do with what you do with yourself and with your teammates. So that was something to get adjusted to. And I'm more of like an academic type guy and you don't really see that in athletics. So a lot of my teammates were saying things like, man, I wish we did. I wish we could just come and play basketball and not go to class. And I'm like, that's called the NBA. You know, like we are not in the NBA, bro. <laughs> but like you literally, like if you didn't come to practice, they send a coach to knock on your door and get you behind up and let's go. Like it's, it's really like a pro, you're like a pro athlete at that point because you it. have to be at places. What was your favorite class that you've taken in your entire time in your school career? Dang, that's a tough question. Favorite class? Can you give me like a... Or not necessarily uh, favorite class, but do you have like a specific, um, like, do you like arts classes or do you like science classes or math classes? Like, is there a type okay. of class that you like most? Uh, younger years, like elementary school was math. I okay. just love that a lot. When I got to college, well, no, I'll give you high school. High school was acting. That was a okay. lot of fun. Very cool. And throughout college... My favorite class, okay, <laughs> research is the worst class in my, it was the worst class on my uh, curriculum sheet, but I love my research class. Like I learned so much and it actually was, it sent me to grad school and all that. It was one of the toughest ones because you had to go through statistics and you got to know mm -hmm. how to break it down and then you have to know how to work the metrics and all this stuff. But it, it like I, a part of my personality is achievement. So I had a lot of opportunity to like go to conferences and present research and work with different populations to then go make research on it, then go present the research. And it just like, it taught me a lot. I mean, I still got stuff online from mm -hmm. those classes. So I would say, and, and then the teacher is all about the teacher sometimes, sure. I guess. She was considered to be a dragon. Everyone was like, dude, she breathes fire. And when she walks, she leaves a footprint. And then I go there and she was like the sweetest lady in the world. Like she was so nice and delicate. Sure. And then I started like working for her as like a researcher. Mm -hmm. and I learned that dragon side of it. But that's, <laughs> you know, that's that's how you grow. Like that's how Absolutely. we develop and improve is you kind of need somebody to call you out for your BS. And if you can, you know, respect them and, and follow up and not take it personal, you can go far. If she was Absolutely. the only person that would like really stand up to me firmly and consistently. Like, you know, being an athlete, you can kind of like make it work to, but nah, she, nah, she did not allow that. Is it, um, so you sort of having that athlete side um, perspective of, of what it's like sort of being a college athlete, is it like how true is that sort of trope of people that are, that are there on this scholarship and they're not taking it seriously? Like, is that something that is a big thing? Um, yeah, or do you feel like it's so. sort of overplayed? 
Uh, I mean, it depends where you go, first mm-hmm. and foremost. But For I think sure. if you looked at from where I'm at, I'm from a basketball team of about 20 people. So, um, you know, there are there, there were a lot of people that didn't take it serious. In fact, on my NEL team, there was only two guys that graduated. Two guys. And one was from Brazil, and the other one was me. Mm-hmm. And we came in with 10 other people in our class. No one else graduated. Only three of those guys moved on to a four-year college. So I definitely think uh, they don't take it serious, but on this on that same branch, I think there's a lot more you can look at in terms of like what education background they have. Uh, like why would they take it serious if you know they struggle with reading or math, and and they don't want to really show that because masculinity say are the world's version of masculinity say let's not show that. So instead, they rather ignore that and try to like slip in. And then you guys ask too, like how many people's parents are involved in like their educational progression. And if your parent isn't really in that round where they're thinking about that, and they've been through something similar to that, it's kind of hard to put those expectations on you or even know how to help you follow through with them. So a lot of athletes, I mean, I mean, speaking from a minority standpoint, you go in there, you go blind, like you're like, what is this like? I I take chemistry like four times dude, <laughs> to get through it, and I I still don't get why I even took it four times. But I think it was just that achievement challenge thing. Like I can do this, I can do this. But I don't think a lot of people would do that. And with athletes, yeah, I I, I think a lot of them don't take it serious. But I think there's a lot more behind the reasons why they don't take it serious. That how common? Sense. Yeah, how common do you think it is that somebody who is a college athlete? Um, is sort of having a big like internal struggle with something, whether it be a home life or whether it be something like a reading situation or um, something like that, but they're not expressing it because of the stigma that's associated with expressing having this problem. Like, do do you think that that's something is that is more, that is more common than people would think about? I I think so. I I, I think that's very common in athletics and, you gotta think about it like if you're come if you're playing in college, you were one of the top tier athletes in high school, probably. No matter what school you were one of the better players, and you get to go to the next level. Especially if it's like a big D1 school, you were really, really good. And what you'll see there is coaches and teachers making sure that person, that kid is eligible. Like they are they and even if you're not eligible, sometimes they will still allow you to play especially if you're that guy, like we need you because that's how good some players are. It's just like, whoa, we need you. So yeah, this coach is looking out for his own agenda, of course, but as a kid, because it happened to me at once upon a time, as a kid, you're looking at it more like clout, more like I don't have to do nothing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And no one's really following. If it wasn't for my dad following up with me with a lot of things, I don't really know exactly how I would be shaped and formed because he, He's a stickler on that with me. Like, hey, you're great. Hey, you're great. You're great. You're great. And there was times where certain things happened the way I just described it. So when you take that element, then those kids transition to college, they're coming in with a lot of ego, a lot of like false confidence in a sense. And they feel like no matter what, like they're indestructible and they'll be fine because I'm good enough for coach to figure it out. Not saying all of them are like that, but I do think a lot of them are. I know I was at some point. And you kind of got to get humble to take it serious. Are some of them like 
I'm okay with admitting that I'm like humiliated, I'm down, I'm sad. Like, I'm really good at expressing my feelings, but I think the common, um, uh, that masculinity part is to act like, you know, be stoic, be the tough guy. Like, like you're the man, don't, don't, don't cry, cry for girls. Like that type of idea, ideology kind of, it doesn't benefit, if we're talking athletes, it doesn't benefit that athlete when he gets there because he's going to need help. He's going to need someone to give him constructive criticism. And it's hard to get constructive criticism when you're used to being praised. And then most of them Absolutely. don't want to start nothing new if they're not good at it. Like they think they're supposed to be good at everything. I'm like, no, dude, you're supposed to suck at first. Like, you're going to probably suck a lot at it. <laughs> like, just, just, just be okay with that. What's nah. the earliest that you can know? Or that people start to get contracts or not contracts. I don't know. Like contracts. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the earliest day is like freshman year, eighth grade year. But with the social media world, it's a freshman lot. Freshman year of high school? Yeah. Like, but so this somebody, is for college. Sorry, sorry. This is for college. Okay. Because college coaches are going to recruit you. If, if you're in the right, like if you're playing okay. summer, summer ball. So the most important part of basketball, if you want to go far is summer ball not high school okay. ball okay because you go to imagine you go to the um uh thunder arena and they're okay. hosting a tournament there so while those teams are playing there'll be a section maybe two sections full of coaches college oh, okay. coaches and if it's like a nike type thing where you're picking a top 50 teams in america then the coaches want to be there because this is like the best players in America. And then they, they just go back and forth. So when they can catch you before you hit the ninth grade. They're trying to get you here. If you're like rated one through 20, they're trying to get Got you it. ASAP to have one, especially the smaller schools. NBA projections are a lot different though. Like okay, I think that's it. more so who you're around. Like you look at LeBron James' son, he's projected to go to the NBA, but look who okay. his dad is. If he didn't have Got his it. dad, He's not just like this phenomenal, like, whoa, his dad would dominate him at the same age. Got it, got it. Play. So NBA-wise, it's more so senior year. Generally, people can predict it if he's like a 6'6", six, six, but they want to see how you transition to college. But the trends that started like two years ago is a lot of high school guys, they're going pro. So they're going to go play in Europe and Spain. So they're like prepping themselves or – the NBA is allowing them to go to a, a semi-league. So instead of going to the NBA league, if you're like mm -hmm. a top prospect, you can go play for the Thunder. Uh, what's the name of Thunder's semi-pro? Uh, the Blue, Oklahoma Blue. Okay. You, you know what I'm talking about? I so, so the Thunder had their pro players, their main the TV players. Right. Then they have like a farm of players where they're like trying to develop them, trying to see if they can be a good player. Got so it. they play similarly to the NBA. They have seasons, they travel, they play, but it's like the NBA is working on a, let's say they're working on a per team, a $50 million budget. So they're flying in the top amenities. The G League is probably working on a million dollar budget. And the so G League is that blue team that you were talking about? The is is that a common thing for these profession for these NBA teams to have like a like a team underneath them? It's like they're forming players, like they got it. 
Like it. it's, it's like, yeah, they're just working them through. And then some of I, the last three years, I've seen three of them go up. One guy just like signed for a really big contract. Got it. So you can go from that smaller team up into the actual Thunder itself. Yeah. Yeah. If okay. your numbers suggest that, like if you're playing at a high level, like uh, Alex, what's that? Alex Krasingo or something like that. I okay. just totally, he plays for the Lakers. Okay. He's, he's, he's like, uh, he's a high flying guy. Uh, I didn't think he was that good, to be honest with you, but he originally came from the Oklahoma Blue and I watched okay, him play. Got it. And now he's like a seventh, eighth man on the Lakers and he just won a championship and he's one of the more popular players. Everybody love him. I love him. <laughs> That's he's, awesome. Yeah. And it's generally like you look at the NCAA, they're, they're having a lot of backlash with athletes wanting to get paid for their name rights. Like, can we brand ourselves? I mean, I think they should have those rights. Like, is there a name? And if they can learn how to maybe do entrepreneurial type things, mm -hmm. those athletic skills transition really well in entrepreneurship. Like the way you can like talk, especially as a basketball player. I'm speaking on behalf of basketball players. I think it's different if you got to wear a helmet and there's a hundred mm -hmm. of you guys versus mm -hmm. if you don't have a helmet on and there's only 15 of you guys, you're kind of used to like talking to people and doing certain very casual, polite type things with people. Versus like staying in your own little zone where I feel like if they could develop ways of entrepreneurship in school, then it'll help. But the NCAA, they don't really like that so much. So like for to, to so you question what do these athletes do? Like I wonder if you don't graduate college. Right. You just went to Stanford for four years. You got like 20, 30 hours left. Can you pay for Stanford for another couple semesters? Right. You know, like really though, because you burned off these because, you know, it's parties. It's, it's a lot of distractions there. For sure. What would you say, um, what would you say was your biggest like distraction or challenge that you found as you were going through college? Balancing it all out. Really, because you got your, like I, like, I said, I'm a nerdy guy. So I really like academics and being different probably was the hardest part because my teammates really wasn't like me. Mm -hmm. Like, so, but I don't want to go play because they're playing on Saturday. Oh, coach said we don't have to come. I'm going to just stay here, hang out by myself then. For sure. You kind of receive like a, like you kind of, people don't really respect you. Like we mm -hmm. don't want to play. So you, 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 for me, I was outcast a little bit. Although we all was cool, like everybody liked each other, you kind of felt the separation where I have to make new friend groups and kind of mm -hmm. have my my things to do outside of basketball, basketball, basketball. Because I knew it wasn't just basketball. Because if you're just doing basketball, 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 you know, you got your your academic side that's important, your athletic side. These are your two cores, academics first. Then you got to perform your job while you're here. But then what comes with that is you come partying, girls, drugs start popping up. Like you, you get all this access to stuff because everybody want to hang out with you. Like right. you're the cool guy on campus. So it's being able to, to, to cut that stuff out and know where you want to go and align yourself with different kind of people. You can't just hang out with athletes or else, you know, you're just hanging out with athletes unless they're right. progressive ones that are thinking, you know, what are you doing to do this? But the hardest part was learning how to just be okay with like being who I am and developing that person. Versus mm -hmm. trying to fit in and hang out because, you know, that's just an exhausting 
life. It's just, it's fun though, but it just don't. It's it's a sometime thing in terms of like going out and partying with your friends and having fun. I think that's an experience in college. For sure. It's not an everyday thing. It's more of a balancing thing because you can't drink. You're an right. athlete, dude. Right. Like we're trying to win here. Right. So, right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Is it um, was was going to the NBA ever something that you had on your horizon or something that you wanted to do? Um, like, where do you like where did you find yourself transitioning throughout school and like where like how did your path change as you were progressing down your path? Oh, man. You just brought my keynote story. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> like cause that's literally uh so I, I never had ambitions to go to the NBA. Never. Because mm-hmm. I always think about my family. I don't have one, but I, one day I want to have a family. And mm-hmm. I was like, man, like, that'd be cool. But I just kind of want to, like, just be with my family. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't always like the limelight and the, all that stuff. Like, it just enhances as you get to different levels. For and sure. secondly, I wasn't that good. Don't tell nobody that though. <laughs> I started too late and just wasn't that good. And uh, but I mean, if I had the opportunity, I would win though. I think anybody mm-hmm. would go, but I was not like just an ambitious player to get there. So when I honestly, my college career starting in high school was just full of injuries mm-hmm. at just not the best times. Like I, I, I got three screws on one of my knee from uh, when I was in high school. That slowed me down. Like I was a really good player. I got moved up to varsity. Got moved up to the highest level to play in high school. My first year in high school, and that mm-hmm. never happens. So I was pumped about that. But then I go and rip my knee up, and so I'm out for two years. But then I come back, and I got to go JUCO, and JUCO is like high school all over again because you're trying to get picked up by another school. And I go there, and I tear my ACL. Mm-hmm. Uh, right before the first season, so I had to sit out another year, and then oh uh, glory to God! But I get an opportunity to go try out for UCO, mm-hmm. right? You don't get scholarships when you try out for UCO. So I went out and I had like the game of my life, and this was against at that time UCO was like number three in the nation, there was mm-hmm. the top team around, and I I go and I take care of their guys. I bust them up on the court. I didn't think I had it in me. I was just, I was unconscious. And the reality of it is they, they didn't have no data on me to see what mm-hmm. my consistency was because I was hurt. Mm-hmm. So I leave that place with a full-ride scholarship. Like, mm-hmm. what? At the time, I don't know how big that was, but looking right. back, you're like, thank you, God. So once I got there, I started thinking of, uh, it was, uh, what was it, physical therapy due to my injuries. I met a lot of cool physical therapists, so I, I want to be that. But no one ever really informed me about the curriculum and, mm-hmm. and how many hours you have to take, how you got to accept it. My roommate was a, is a PT now, and he mm-hmm. told me, and I'm like, okay, let's not do that thing because I'm not ready for that. So I wrote into like, I wrote into, no, no, I wrote into kinesiology thinking that I can take my biologies at another time so then I can qualify for PT school. Uh, Needless to say, I chose to stay, to stay in kinesiology. But the interesting part about it is my junior year, and this is like a big part of like what made me go into business for myself and, and mm-hmm. just understand why it's needed. 
is because I actually failed the drug test at the Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't for street drugs. It wasn't for like marijuana or cocaine. It was for caffeine, for pre-workout. I had too much caffeine in my system where they took it as a steroid, like a performance enhancing uh-huh. drug. So that means as a junior, that means that I'm suspended for one year. And then, uh, no, no, they take a year of eligibility. You only get four, freshman, sophomore, freshman, sophomore junior, senior. You only get mm-hmm. four. They're going to take away my senior year, and I'm suspended for 365 days. Right? Career over. And I don't know what to do. Like, I'm like, what? And uh, I had a red shirt. What a red shirt is is you can take your time. You don't. You can sit out a year and still have your one-year eligibility left. Okay. So I had that, but it still wouldn't work because they're taking my year eligibility. Like, it's mm-hmm. no more. Okay. So uh, that process changed me because from there, I didn't know what to do. I had a few meetings with the athletic director mm-hmm. and the coaches, and they didn't want me there. They are telling me, hey, we need players that can play. We don't. It's a business at the end of the day. And... I gave them my point of view and they wanted to send me to USAL out in uh, Chickasha. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to do that. So I said, hey, I was unaware that these consequences were associated to drinking this, but I did drink it and, you know, I have to accept the penalties of that. And I feel like, I literally said, like, pretty much, I feel like, you know, God works in mysterious ways. He mm-hmm. wouldn't leave me this far just to cut me off and send me back where I came from. So, I'm going to just be uh, faithful that everything's going to work out and I can just go be a student because I'm really enjoying my academics right now. And if I can be a part of the basketball team, great. But if they can go to school without basketball, why can't I? That was my (laughs) mentality. Like literally like, and what else can I say? Like, I don't want to blame nobody. And from that, that moment, that talk right there, it turned the whole room around. Like I think just being authentic, being humble, being truthful, been okay to be humiliated by your 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 mistakes. It opens up people's like heart to you. Um, sort of presented in front of this room, and you sort of laid out what was the truth of what happened, and you sort of accepted the responsibility. And it sounded like you were sort of trying to be um, positive in the situation. That I feel like a lot of other people would um, sort of think it was the world falling in on them, and it seemed like they responded pretty positively to it. Yeah, they 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 did. And I felt that way, though. Honestly, I wasn't like, you know, it all is going to work out. Like, I wasn't like that. <laughs> that week, I think I stopped talking to my mom. My mom called me and she was like, God, hang on. She started getting biblical on me. And I'm like, Mama, I really don't want to hear this because they talking about they need people that can play. And I can't play right now because I'm ineligible. So, um, yeah, the athletic director he stands behind me and he says you know what you have whiskers behind your ears and i quote and i'm like okay whatever that means you know okay and they said but since you you're you're approaching this in a very mature manner we want to appeal your case and see if we can win somehow and i'm like well i I admitted to the crime like (laughs) to the situation so i'm like cool great and then my coach steps in and say and if it doesn't work out, then I want to. I want you to finish your academics here. I'll pay for your scholarship, and um, we're gonna make sure you finish because you just understood that when that ball deflates, that you got a life after that. And this is before I even got into the industry that I'm in. Too, mm-hmm. it was just like, dude. Actually, it's how I got there because mm-hmm. from there they appealed it. 
I began to make moves in academia, like big moves. That's when the research happened. And I started traveling to present, doing extremely uh-huh. cool, nerdy stuff. They say, before the year started, they said, oh, our pill worked. You can come back for a year. So you just redshirt and you can come back. So I'm like, cool, great. I'm just going to study then. I'll see you guys next year, pretty much. So I do that. We practice and all that good stuff. Come back next year. Compliance come and like kick me out of practice. I'm not supposed to be there. And they say, uh, like, that was a false statement by the, by the drug sports NCAA. I don't know. Whoever made the statement was false. So you are suspended and you are pretty much stripped of your senior year. And what that did, though, is that opened up the opportunity for me to go into my master's program. Because mm-hmm. that same coach that told me he paid for my undergraduate scholarships is like, well, this is not fair. You should at least get your senior year. And like me, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, like, yeah, I should. But I'm not like this just big basketball enthused at the time. Uh-huh. So I'm like, <laughs> like, yeah, OK. But from there, I became a coach with him. And then I was able to go into graduate school. And then since I was doing research, that just enhanced into like other jobs around my academia and their sports. I was a good representative for them. So I would start going to different events and this and that. And it was because I was academically uh, inclined versus uh, like what you asked earlier, how many athletes you think are really uh, academically prepared for it or mm-hmm. are, are within the system. They understand what they need to do. And then not just burning their scholarship. Well, I was one that was really taking advantage of that, but it was just me. And, and I can't, but that's just me. You represent like the minority side of it. I don't really sure. know what everyone else was doing. Like, but I know with the guys that I was around, I was kind of in my radius. They really wasn't doing much, honestly. And so, um, obviously basketball is a big part of your life. If now you have basketball drills and life skills, what is, what is the purpose of that organization? Or like, what do you all do within that organization? So you so when I told you I started um, when I was 15, 16, and before that I was a chubby kid and not coordinated and stuttered and had learning disabilities and asthma and I could just go on for mm-hmm. about three more categories. Basketball changed my life, like by going through problems. Like I did not want to go to practice, I did not want to run. I did not want to work out. I did not want to do none of this stuff. But now that I'm an adult, I practice those skills. Like I work out every day. Mm-hmm. And it's because it helps me like relax. It helps me calm down. Like I'm not in there to get results. Those come inevitably, mm-hmm. but I'm really, it calms me down. So the reason why I started BDLS, because I have family that are in similar positions that I was in, if not worse, uh, that should be in some kind of extracurricular activity. So, I started that program initially just for them, and then it expanded out uh, to teams and training. And I'm able to deploy different like self-development uh, curriculum to the athletes. So then now we're thinking about life direction and motivation through sports. And there's so many things you can add to, to that, like mindfulness and things like that. So I want to give the kids an opportunity to get better at something that they think they like also an opportunity to build a network of friends that are positive friends. Cause with my family, I don't know who they're hanging out with. And I know mm-hmm. what high school is. 
So instead, I want to at least be able to supply some like-minded kids around you because we pull from all kind of areas. Edmond, right. uh, East Side, Oklahoma City, Dell City, Yukon. We kind of try to get them all there. And, uh, yeah, that's been a really the, the main focus is just the community, get the kids around each other, and then develop those kids as much as I can with a high perspective. What are some skills, I guess, that you believe that you've learned throughout your life that you take into basketball drills and life skills and, or yes, and life direction and motivation for millennials? Like what are some lessons that you've learned that you think are sort of um, things that you come back to as you're talking to the kids or as you're talking to people that are part of the programs? Okay. So I'll say the first one is habits. Uh, learning how powerful habits are, if, whether you're using them for good or for bad, building on those habits, uh, turning those habits into routines. is something that's big that I like to talk about, like routines, like whether it's for your day, whether it's for your sleep, whether it's for your game, whether it's for your test. So that that that's the first part would be habits. Uh, then the second top tier would be more so uh, positive thinking as much as I can stress that. And that that's a hard pillar to push because I don't think a lot of people really believe in positive thinking. Mm-hmm. They think it's like fairy dust or something. <laughs> but like, but I try to tell them I always find a positive niche or situation within your problem and then find ways to grow from them. Uh, and then, I mean, so many of life direct goal setting is probably my biggest one though. Like my habits is there, but goal setting is like, you know, it's the basketball hoop, you know, For you sure. want to go dunk that thing, <laughs> dude. Like, so For how sure. do we get there? Like, like, and then like, scope, like the court is your scope, goal setting is your goal. So what's your goal? And then applying like different steps of how to get there. And and that, that was bringing your habits and that brings in your routines. And if you can have that, that goal, then it can help you out for the rest of your life. I like to think of it like a, like a preset, like plate where you're like putting it on to anything you want, like a goal right. broken down in very similar ways across countless communities. So I'll try to get them in that aspect. Like you can have it, but you got to be able to set goals. You know, I use a smart method a lot. For sure. But those well, are like and, the top three, I would say. Well, and even, um, I mean, I think sometimes like with positive thinking, sort of like touching on the, the fairy dust aspect on the fairy dust aspect it doesn't even necessarily have to be like like this thing is going to happen but sometimes it's just the dialogue that you're saying to yourself like are you saying to yourself i'm going to fail or are you saying to yourself like i'm going to succeed like right right beating that voice quiet and annoying. i think we all had that voice honestly and and something that i try to associate to it is the feeling of when you actually do it and it works like it makes you like really like it's gonna be a good day. But if you don't, like you just kind of linger in it all day, and you're trying to work and push through stuff, it just piles up on you, and then you For start sure. seeing like you get irritable and frustrated and all this type of stuff. And it's generally because I mean, you know, you're not you. It goes into that self esteem arena where like I think self esteem is the promises that you make to yourself and you keep. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you're telling yourself, I'm going to wake up in the morning at 6 to go work out for an hour and I'm going to leave, great. Next morning, you don't work, wake up. Or maybe you do wake up, but you stay in the gym for, like, an hour and a half or two hours, which mm-hmm. then messes up your day. Now you're trained. Now you're kind of down on yourself. You knew you should have left or you knew you should have woke up. But you're going to get over it. But then you for tell sure. yourself, all right, I'm going to eat this for lunch. And you don't eat that for lunch. And I'm 
call her and you don't call her like these little different things. And why aren't you doing them? It's usually because something is telling you to either do something else or it doesn't matter that much. But I've learned that the more you can kind of execute those little tasks, that voice just gets quieter and quieter and quieter. Absolutely. I see. See, Antonio, I've I've tried to set myself up these last few months. I've said I'm just going to eat pizza, and I go through and I just eat all that pizza. I'm just going to play video games. I play the video games. I'm just, you know, I'm 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 setting myself up for this 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 positive self esteem because I'm succeeding in all of my very low bar <laughs> setting goals that I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's um, an interesting way to put uh, it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's not the right way to put it. So, um, it's definitely. This, I, I feel like even before the COVID stuff, I've sort of been in this weird, like, um, not really satisfied with at least like my workout regimen, um, not really satisfied with it. And then this year, I feel like it's sort of all just like fallen down. And so I'm sort of now trying to just figure out like, okay, like I, I can't necessarily like, you know, the boxes that if you're doing like CrossFit, like the sort of box jumps. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm sort of in this place now to where it's like, okay, if my box was like, let's say like a foot high before, like, I can't necessarily just guarantee that I'm going to be able to jump right back up to where that was. Like, I, like maybe since I've been out, out of it for so long, I need to set it at like a few inches off the ground or something. Just like, like start, start taking that smaller step back to get to where I was. Cause um, otherwise sometimes it's like you try and take too big of a step and then you'd be discouraged because you're, you aren't able to achieve that thing that you wanted to do when in reality, that thing that you wanted to do maybe isn't even fair to where your capabilities was in that moment. Right. Right. And um, having a good team around you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Important team cast, even if it's like, there's a place called fit 180. I don't want to work out there because their workouts are hard. Uh I went there. I was hurt for like three days and I work out pretty hard, but Uh Um, if I had a problem with working out though, I would try to be a part of a group like mm-hmm. that because there's no room for self-doubt in there. Like, like you're going to get to work, you're going to get your results versus if you're going by yourself, there's so much room for self-doubt. It's like you're like just whispering in your ear the whole time. Oh, for sure. Out. When you're by, or even having just a good friend. That's what pushed me in high school was my friends. They really challenged me because I, I was always act like the stud athlete and then uh, well you don't want to get better you don't want to run an extra mile no i don't and then they were like well that's because you don't want to get better you don't and for some reason that would always get me up and get the challenge going but it was because sure. of them like dragging me through what um so just two more questions as we're sort of closing out here who is someone that you feel like is a big motivator right now in your life for the things that you're wanting to achieve hmm. Oh man, a big motivator for the things that I want to achieve. Ooh, that's an interesting question. Because I can maybe, think of a lot of people. Maybe not even necessarily a motivator, but that person in your life right now who's like, you don't want to run that extra mile. Ah, okay, that person you're talking about. Okay, yeah. I was thinking, okay, okay. Uh, I would think is I have a mentor, Guy Troop is his name. And he does a lot of work with like NFL teams and stuff. And he's been around me since the NCAA stuff. He wanted mm-hmm. to kind of help me through understanding that. And um, he motivates me because he always gives me like things to eat. 
in terms of business and programs. And early stages, I used to get really down on myself because he like put me in over my head all the time. And I would just be like, man, like, oh my God, no help, no assistance, no guidance. But, you know, five years later, I'm still a part of the event. I'm a lot better. So now I'm able to like acquire different teams and then coach them. And I don't know. I just like it when 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 he's around and, and like he's he, like he's one of those guys that's not gonna give you a thumbs up unless you deserve it. So when I can get him to be like, yeah, man, yeah, like good job there, it, it really makes me excited to to do more and and just to expand on opportunities. And then he's in my field, like he's like the guru of self development in a sense. Just he's not a speaker, and it's fun to see like his trends and then able to provide to him. And it's, if, if, if I had to pick one person that was like my goer and, and that's just for work, like in terms of everything else, it just took me consistently doing it, like working out and stuff. It's just no matter what, like I always put on my Snapchat, I'm, I'm at the place that I hate. I want to go in here, but I'm just going here. I'm going to kill it. And I, I always say that because I don't think nobody want to work out but me for most sure. of the time. And, and I don't really like doing it most of the time. So Guy Troop is my biggest motivator. And then last question, what is something that you are, um, like what's something that you feel like you're learning about yourself? Mm. That I'm a lot stronger than I could ever imagine, honestly. I, I think uh, 2019 and even parts of 18, well, 18 was like discovery. 2019 was kind of like an idle moment for me. Even though I had some pretty cool accomplishments, the thing that I really wanted to do, I just didn't have a heart to do it or the discipline to produce it. And 2020 really gave me time to like go through all that self-doubt and get through all that to finally fourth quarter, a little bit before the fourth quarter of the year. It's like a switch. Like, I don't really know what happened. Cause it was like places, things that I was trying to do, I couldn't do them. I couldn't hold myself accountable, but I was aware mm -hmm. of them. And then late in the quarter, I just started just trying stuff. Like even how I got, you know, with you guys and learning you guys, like that was an email, you know? And, and that's what I, who I learned from Guy True, how to network. And so I would say the biggest thing I've learned in 2020 is like, you don't know how strong you are. Like you don't know how fast the car go until you push the pedal to the metal. And, and, and yeah, that's, that's it right there. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, anybody that is wanting to learn more about Antonio, um, I will have his websites linked below. I'm also going to, um, give his Facebook and Instagram. You can find him at the inspirational speaker. Correct. Is that right? Awesome. So um, the inspirational speaker, um, Antonio, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I had a great conversation with you um, and I hope that you have a great rest of your Sunday as well. All right. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It was fun. And whenever you need me, just let me know. Okay. Awesome. I've got a few other things that I know that we didn't necessarily really get to dive deep into. So um, later on down the road, I'm sure I'm going to be like, Antonio, we've got these other stuff that I want to talk about too. So um, okay. Thanks so much for, for coming on and joining me. All right. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me and I'll see you later. I'll see you soon.